Welcome to Tackling the NFL. I'm Josh Rosenberg. I am here with my friend Adam Baltax. As always, we are back after an exciting week 15. And I want to start us off this week, Adam, with some vindication. For us nerds, we have been saying running backs don't matter. We've been proven right that running backs don't matter. But I have additional proof that running backs don't matter. I will get to that in one second. Just to tell you guys what we're going to be doing this week, we figured that we would just take a look back at some of the most interesting games and trends from this past week and also look forward because we are officially on a countdown to the playoffs. We are two weeks out, so every game matters. Shockingly, pretty much every playoff spot is locked in. There's probably two changes that can happen and two teams that have a chance of actually making it, but we'll talk about that later. Um, and so, yeah, we just wanted to give you a you know, quick overview um, and bounce around things that interested us this week. So I'm going to start, as I mentioned, with running backs don't matter because this feels like vindication for me. So I'm going to start with Tony Pollard, obviously, because that, that is clearly, yes, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> that's the jumping off point for running backs don't matter week 15 circa 2020. OK, obviously, we all saw that he took over the reins after Ezekiel Elliott uh, was out injured uh, a little surprisingly because it looked like he might play. And as it turns out, and actually, as a lot of nerds have been saying for most of this year, Tony Pollard is just a far superior uh, running back to Ezekiel Elliott at this point in Elliott's career. According to Ian Hertzitz from PFF, Tony Pollard is currently first in both missed tackles, forced per rush, and yards after contact per carry among 73 running backs with 100 or more carries over the past two seasons. He's way better than Ezekiel Elliott. And the Cowboys, who, as they have been, you know, trying to cheap out, I can't even come up with the right phrase, as they've tried to cheap out and uh, try to prevent Dak Prescott from getting the money that he's rightfully earned, they have guaranteed Ezekiel Elliott $30 million for the next two years that they cannot get out of. They can get out of the deal after that. They're going to be paying him $30 million for the next two years to probably be their second best running back. And here's the funniest part, Adam. Tony Pollard's contract is going to expire as soon as they can cut Ezekiel Elliott. So are they going to pay Tony Pollard or are they going to say, wait, we might have learned our lesson. But you know, it's Jerry Jones. If he's still alive in 2022, I'm not sure if he's going to have learned his lesson. Yeah, it's it's a weird situation with the with the Cowboys. You never know; they might even draft a couple this this draft. So, uh, you know, we 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 talked about this when they paid Ezekiel Elliott. We talked about this when they when they paid uh, who was it? Who was the last big running back contract? Cook and Camaro were paid at about the same Cook. time. Cook. last. So on the podcast, we talked about the Cook contract, and we were just like. We love these running backs. They're good running backs. They are not worth paying the money and then falling apart because you don't have money. We're seeing with this with the Vikings stuck in a bunch of bad contracts and mediocrity, and they're not able to get out of this. Teams need to learn from the Cowboys. They won't because running backs have forever been a big part of the game. I'm putting up, I'm putting up quotation marks. It's too traditional, and it's not how – offenses win games nowadays as we saw this week with only one 100 plus yard rusher teams are not winning games with running the ball they're winning the games through the year well and so there's some element of truth to that i'm going to get to a team that actually did run the ball to win the game later as part of my point actually as part of my broader point but i completely agree with pretty much everything you said um part of the reason i think that running backs have always been paid is because one it's the easiest position to like, if you're a complete novice to say, wow, that guy did something cool. I could not do that, <laughs> which is very true. That's the thing. I don't want to shortchange what these running backs are doing. Dalvin Cook is an amazing player and he's better than almost any other player in his position. 
And I'm not going to go into the nuts and bolts of why people, why we believe that running backs don't matter and about positional value and contracts. I think we've explained that before. And at this point, it's pretty common knowledge. Instead, I want to go to two more situations that I think really encapsulate why I want to talk about that this week. So Tony Pollard was really obvious. I want to go to the Chicago Bears, where David Montgomery, who is really like a laughing stock of the league and especially the fantasy football world after his rookie season, he was drafted in the third round and he had a pretty terrible rookie season. He did very little. He nearly cost me a championship. I was not happy with him. And then this year, he did also very little. He was really inefficient. Um, he was not getting anything going on the ground. The Bears did not have a rushing game for the, like the first nine weeks of the season. Then a switch happened. Mitchell Trubisky took over in week 12. And the Bears offense completely changed. They changed their game to a much more outside zone focused run scheme and much more rollouts. It's a much more sort of Shanahanian offense. If that's 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 an that's hour a great that's a great way to describe it. Yeah, right, that, that's a verb now. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> or Kubiakian. So in weeks one through nine, he got injured in week ten, so he didn't play weeks ten or eleven. So from weeks one through nine, David Montgomery rushed for four hundred seventy-two yards and three point six yards per attempt. He was then injured. Then when he came back, Mitchell Trubisky had taken over, and in weeks twelve through fifteen, he's rushed for four hundred thirty-four yards. He's averaged six point one yards per attempt. A lot of that can be attributed to that he's he's had easier matchups. You can look at the teams yeah, he's played. Yeah. It's definitely been easier. I will absolutely admit that. But the running scheme that they're doing has really unlocked David Montgomery. And he's currently, I think, third in the NFL in broken tackles. Like, he's not a bad running back. It's just the value of the running backs is clearly so dependent on scheme and outside factors that it makes it really hard to say that it's worth it to pay one of them. Does that say 32 attempts? He was getting the ball a lot in that game against yeah, the he was Vikings. Get, he was getting fed. Yeah, and it was and it was against a Viking team that hasn't had the best pass defense either. So they weren't even attacking. Well, I mean, they they don't have a great run defense either. But wow, that's 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 surprising. Yeah, uh, they they just want yeah. to take the ball out of Mitch Trubisky's hands as much as possible. I would assume. <laughs> and 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 hopefully the Bears don't pay David Montgomery because of this. But who knows? The cycle might continue, and we'll be screaming this for the next twenty years, maybe. Yeah, and also, and so I've got one more team, but really quickly, I hope these guys get paid. I really hope every single running back gets paid. Like, I don't want to depress their value. And we've said this before, the NFL just needs to find a way to reconfigure the running back pay scale. And so, also, and also because they're putting themselves at so much risk every week, as absolutely. we saw with Clyde Edwards Hilaire this week. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the most dangerous positions because you're getting hit. You, you have 11 guys who want to hit you. you <laughs> yeah, you're 99% of your plays, you're getting hit. On the other 1%, you're scoring ADR touchdowns like David Montgomery. Yeah. So, the final team I wanted to get to is my beloved Miami Dolphins, who this week got 250 yards out of Matt Breda and Salvin Ahmed, right? So, you know, two number one overall picks, clearly. They traded a fifth round pick for Matt Breda this offseason, and they gave up too much for that. That was frankly panned as a bad deal, and it was. It absolutely was. And Salvin Ahmed, who's been great for them, is an undrafted free agent. And they're playing because the Dolphins' number one running back, Miles Gaskin, who's a seventh round pick, is on the COVID list, and he's been really good this year. You can find values later in the draft, and... I don't know what's going to happen this year. There's three really, really good running backs who are coming to the draft. Uh, Chuba Hubbard, Najee Harris, and uh, Travis Etienne. They're all fantastic running backs. I would be shocked if any of them go in the first round. No, I wouldn't be shocked because someone's going to do it. But I would be surprised. I'm like 90% sure that one of them is going to go in the first round. Yeah. Just I because of right. the, I think overall their level is higher than CEH's was at a college. And he was drafted at the end of the first. So I think one of them will have to be taken. Yeah, no, I agree with that, actually. I'm curious to see how teams adjust. Because, like, the Chiefs picked Clyde Edwards-Elair, 
at the end of the first round, like if you're going to draft a running back in the first round, the Chiefs are the perfect team to go to and the perfect team to like use that draft pick on him. And it hasn't really, he hasn't really been any more efficient for them than anyone else would have been. Yeah, so, we saw when Bell came in the game, like he was just as efficient. And also, I mean, sure, that's that's also probably one of the better backups in the league. But I, it's just like, it doesn't really matter. We've seen who you have running the ball. As long as you have the holes, they'll hit the holes. Sure, maybe, maybe two or three tackles, he would have broken that another guy wouldn't. But at the end of the day, is it worth $200 million? Yeah, so that's my nerdy running backs don't matter rant. I appreciate you pulling along, Adam. Do you have something else you want to talk about? Uh, Yeah, so there's a bunch of shifts this week. Uh, there's a bunch of upset Jets fans. There's a, there's a bunch going on around the league uh, about draft position. So draft positions have been like an ever more important part of in-game strategy in the past uh, like couple decades because of how important the draft has become. Getting those top-tier guys, getting those Chase Youngs, getting those number one quarterbacks has become even more important to building a stronger team from those positions. So teams have to start to figure out whether or not they want to go all out towards the end of the season, whether they want to sell, maybe they don't care. If you're the Jets, uh, <laughs> win a game. It's a weird spot, but there was a, a shift this week, and we and I talked about the Jets. The Jets actually won their game against the Rams, who are a very good team that we ranked very highly last week. And I still would. That's the thing. Like <laughs> I have no idea what happened, but I would still put them all the way up there. And, and that is a very Rams thing to do, to lose to the Jets, because they either destroy a team or they don't. Yeah, they, yeah, they either control the game script or they lose. We've said <laughs> yeah. this. And apparently they can even lose to the Jets if they can't control the game script. And we thought, and we thought the Jets could either lose or lose fashionably. And apparently they can, <laughs> they can win. So that was a new uh, discovery. But yeah, the Jacksonville Jaguars leapfrogged the Jets to get to be in the number one position because of strength of schedule. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to go into whether or not that's a great system. That's a system. We have to go by that. Jacksonville Jaguars have an easier strength of schedule. Um, therefore, they have the higher pick. So if you're a Jets fan, how are you feeling about this, Josh? Well, I, I mean, I would bring in Colin and Alex, but I don't want to put them through this. We've been texting with them. There's no need. I think you guys can imagine that they are understandably distraught, because, especially because... For most of this year, like like coming up to like these past like three weeks until then, this was pretty widely considered a two quarterback class with two other guys who have a like who will probably be top ten picks that are not nearly as highly regarded. It was Trevor Lawrence, who's obviously the crown jewel, and then it was Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback, who's been who had a fantastic year in 2019 and started out the year really really hot. And these past two weeks, all of his flaws have been showcased on national television. Like he nearly cost them the Big Ten championship. Ohio State, obviously. And so he might not even be the second best quarter. He might not even be considered the second best quarterback in the class. There's very little certainty about whether he's actually like, he wasn't, he definitely wasn't a surefire. He wasn't a surefire hit the way Trevor Lawrence was, but he was definitely much closer than that to that than he is now. And that definitely affects the Jets draft strategy now that they've fallen so far, now that they've dropped literally one spot. Yeah. And now there's discussion about taking Zach Wilson there. Yep. Uh, Justin Fields might drop over 10 slots. If if they if he doesn't go second because of because of need of quarterback need, there's yeah. a multiple there's multiple mock drafts that I'm seeing that don't even have Justin Fields going uh, top five. Nah, uh, no, come on, because if Carolina has a top four pick, I would actually be surprised if they don't draft a quarterback. True. True, and also the Falcons maybe who knows, 
uh, I, I want the, I don't want them to, but you you never know. Uh, yeah, they might try and do I something mean, I, different. I'm, I'm looking at the draft now, and I, I do see where you're coming from. The Falcons and Carolina are probably the two teams beyond the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Jets that really need quarterback help. And then after that, the next two teams will probably be the Giants, the Lions, and the 49ers, who are all at 10, 11, and 12 currently. That should be a which, really interesting shakeup. <laughs> which could definitely change, as I was going to mention. So right now, Four through 13 in the draft are up in the air. That we have uh, one, two, three. We have four teams with four wins, and we have five teams with five wins. What do you think is going to happen in these next couple of games? Will we see some, some fights for the bottom slots? Will we see some bad playing? Who knows? Okay, so I'm, I'm going to push back on that just because, and I think, I think we've talked, well, we haven't talked about this before, but it's been pretty widely established that teams don't tank general managers tank in other leagues teams might tank but the job security that you're going to find in the nfl is very different especially for coaches and players than you would in the nba or in the mlb so teams and coaches and players just cannot tank they never will and the sport is so violent and players careers are on the line on every play that they cannot do that so that's why i don't think that we're actually going to see any of that sort of jostling other than maybe from a team like the 49ers because their like organizational structure is set Otherwise, the general managers aren't going to step in and like they can't trade anyone, so they can't do anything there. And so that's why yeah. I don't think that we're necessarily going to see anyone intentionally lose here. Okay, so so there's a there's a big game though this week. So there's the the Texans who have the Dolphins, no, who hold the Dolphins pick. No, 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 no. the Dolphins hold the Texans. The Dolphins. Pick. I'm very excited about Texans, that. Who hold the Texans pick? The Texans are playing the Cincinnati Bengals, who are three ten and one. If the Bengals win. And either the Falcons or Panthers lose, then they take that third spot. So there's there's some big and then if the if the Texans win, the Dolphins strength of schedule gets implemented into the draft pick, which therefore puts them under the San Francisco 49ers at 12. What? God damn it. I don't want that. <laughs> so if the Texans win against the Bengals, they could potentially drop six spots. Ugh. Ugh. They're going to win. Okay, I'm actually going to stop you right there. And we can go back to draft order in a second if you want. But this segues too, way too nicely into one of the points I wanted to make. So I was looking back at the Colts-Texans game. We have talked a million times about how incredible Deshaun Watson is. That doesn't need to be reiterated. What I do want to say is that, and I think I proposed a different theory. I don't even remember who I said earlier in the year for their head coaching vacancy. They actually interviewed, I think, Jim Caldwell, or they at least talked to him uh, this past week. That news came out. I think that would actually be a really good signing, and I think that, that would be really interesting. But my dream hiring for the Texans job is now Brian Dable, even over Eric Bieniemy. I think. Right? Yeah. Right? This is spicy. Like, I don't know if it's spicy, but I really like, and I was thinking about this a little bit more, I really like the Deshaun Watson and Josh Allen comp. There's there's obviously big differences in the way they play, <laughs> but at the same time, at the same, actually, the way that they play is sort of similar in that they're both they're both bigger guys who create with their legs, but they also like to hold the ball for quite a bit longer and they make stuff happen out of the pocket. And so this year, Brian Dable has just done a fantastic job. And last year too, Brian Dable was doing the same thing last year. He just, Josh Allen just wasn't hitting some of the throws he's hitting this year. Brian Dable has done such a good job of scheming stuff up for Allen, but also giving him opportunities to get on the run and make a play, which is why I think that the playbook would transfer over really well from Buffalo to Houston, which is why I would really like to see that. And one other comp, I think that Will Fuller, if they re-sign him, I know that he's a free agent this season. I think Will Fuller can be the Texans' 2019 John Brown. 
And this sounds like an insult. This is actually one of the highest compliments I can give. Because John Brown spent all of 2019 open, wide open downfield. And Josh Allen was like one of 27 on balls more than 20 plus yards downfield. So he didn't hit him. Deshaun Watson is going to hit those throws. And Josh Allen's been hitting those throws this year. So if Will Fuller can be used in that sort of way, I think that that would be a really, really efficient offense. And I would love to see that happen. Do you think that the Bills are going to let Brian Dable walk? Oh, yeah, he's gone. He's definitely gone. I, I mean, like, I don't know about the right situation, but everything I've seen expects him to be hired as a head coach. So I can't imagine that they can stop that. I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think, well, I they, they do have money. It's just whether or not they want to spend it there and not on some of their bigger free agents. I know, I can't I can't come up with one. Is Trey White a, a free agent this year? Uh, I think he is actually. But so I I think but that, okay, but paying coaches isn't paying coaches isn't under the salary cap. Sure, I'm just saying um, the use of money, spending on different things. It's a weird situation. I don't know how far the Bills are going to go in the playoffs this year. I do think that that'll influence their decision. I think that if they can win the Super Bowl this year, no one's going anywhere. No, I disagree with that. If they win the Super Bowl, everyone's gone. I think that that's what happens really? every year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First of all, you can't pay an offensive coordinator enough to keep him there. Because even if he is getting paid more as offensive coordinator, which is pretty unlikely, they're not going to pay that. They're not going to pay him that much. Second of all, everybody wants a chance as a head coach. So I would be 100% shocked, even if it's not to Houston, if Brian Dable isn't gone. Same with Eric Bieniemy. Like the Chiefs would love to have Eric Bieniemy stay. He's not, he's going if he gets an offer and he will. That's true. Offensive coordinators are paid differently than players, so it's kind of hard to think about. But, yeah, I, I, I can see that. And Brian Dable is going to get paid a lot, and so is Eric Bieniemy. It's kind of nice to see uh, these guys getting, get, getting like, competition because that means that their prices are going to be driven up. But, yeah, they're, they're both great offensive coordinators and will we'll definitely help out the teams that get them. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to bounce it back to you after this, just really quickly, because we're talking about the Colts-Texans. I want to talk about how mad I am, and I know you are too, about how DeForest Buckner was left off the Pro Bowl roster. Getting mad about Pro Bowl rosters is sort of stupid. However, it does affect players' earnings and contract negotiations and stuff like that and Hall of Fame chances. But this is just the most ridiculous oversight. Like, Evan Engram made it. That's stupid. But there also aren't any other good tight ends. DeForest Buckner has been, I would say, the second-best defensive tackle in the league this year behind Aaron Donald. That is no small feat. He is the piece that allows the Indianapolis defense to consistently rush four and still get pressure. And that is something that is really hard to do. I mean, even the Steelers usually rush five uh, quite a bit, although they do that to create one-on-one matchups. This past week, just before the Pro Bowl voting came out, he had three sacks against the Texans, which probably won them the game. It was a one-score game. Cam Hayward and Calais Campbell are both very good. They are the guys who made it over DeForest Buckner. They're both very good players. Neither of them is on DeForest Buckner's level. And Calais Campbell is, again, an excellent player, but he's been hurt this year. And since he came back from injury, he hasn't been the same player. So I just don't, I, I can't see justifying that choice. Yeah. And also like Buckner, when he was hurt, we saw a clear drop in that entire defense. That defense yes. turned from the best in the league to a medium defense, if that. Yeah, they got, he is, who did they get yeah. shredded by in that week? It, was, it wasn't someone that, that should have shredded them. And either way. They, they got destroyed when he was gone. He is the glue to that defense. And since he's been back, there has been a clear, clear boost in that entire defense's morale. And I think that in terms of being the best, he he, he got robbed. And there's, it's plain and simple. Yep. Sorry, just pulling it up right now. The week that he was out, I think he was only out one week because he was on the COVID list. 
the Colts lost 26 to 45 to the Titans and Derrick Henry ran for 178 yards on 6.6 yards per carry. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that hurts. Speaking of hurts, uh, the the (laughs) Eagles, you cannot keep making these puns. God. (laughs) And the the Eagles lost the Cardinals this week in a thriller of a match. Shockingly, uh, 33 to 26. That was decided on a Hail Mary throw to the end zone dropped by everyone. That's not Hurts' fault. But before that, Jalen Hurts played great. He had, so now so now he is the first player in the NFL history with 500 passing yards and 150 rushing yards in his first two career starts. When you look at the difference between how he's performing and and how Carson Wentz is performing, what do you think is going to happen to Wentz this offseason? Okay. Um. Sorry. Really quickly. I think Jalen Hurts has been very good. His play in high leverage situations has been, like, barred on some of the best in the league this year. It's been incredible. That play that he made, where like the snap was fumbled and he pitched it up and on the he, ground. Oh my and god. And then he made that play. And then he made that throw to Dallas Goddard. Incredible. I will say he hasn't been that good. If you look at his pass chart, you can go find out on Next Gen Stats. They're avoiding the middle of the field like it's a plague. Like he looks like Ben Roethlisberger's pass chart. <laughs> um. Of course, he has a stronger arm. It's for different reasons. That's fine. I do think he's been very good. Carson Wentz this season. So that that's the thing. There was a very strong chance, I think, coming into like this past week that the Eagles kept Carson Wentz just because one, it would be hard to find a trade partner, although I think it is possible if they want to. But two, because they, they probably won't be 100% sold on Jalen Hurts. Like he's going to have four weeks. He has four weeks to impress him and he's been impressive, but he's not doing all the things you want to see from a quarterback. So it's hard to just say, you're our future. We're giving away the guy who we already gave $120 million to. So I thought he was going to stay. Until last week, he made quite a few comments about how he didn't want to be the backup. I mean, like, I, I understand that. That's fine. Nobody wants to be the backup. But he already had a terrible reputation in that locker room. And he lost the locker room, I think, a couple weeks before even he got benched, which is part of why they benched him. And so I don't think he can really come back. I think they have to get rid of him somehow. I don't know where that – I don't know what that means. I think that can be probably one of two teams, either Indianapolis or or San Francisco with like chances with teams like maybe like the Bears or someone else getting involved. But that's probably it. His list of options is really small. And I'm going to be fascinated to see by where the what the Eagles do with him and how much they can get for him. I, I just don't understand where he's coming from with this. Uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's a job. You're getting paid for it. And why would you make it open that you don't want to work for an organization that is willing to pay you? You're not a, you have clearly not been good enough to earn your starting position. What gives you the position to complain about not being the starter? I, I don't understand where you, what, what like influenced these remarks, but whatever it was, uh, I don't see once returning to Philly. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I, I always support like player sovereignty and like, like demanding a trade if they want to. It's just, he has like, he already has a terrible reputation. He already had very little leverage and he just made it worse. I feel a little bad for Carson Wentz, although not really, not really, not at all. I, but like, I, don't, I don't at all. I, I Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'm just very confused by this whole drop off. And like, I think that some team is going to take a chance on trying to sort it out. I, and I think it's, I think it's definitely doable, but I, yes, I agree. I don't think we'll you be think, seeing Wentz. You think someone can turn them, can turn them around. You think they can bring him back? Not to 2017 ones. We've already talked about how that's completely unrealistic. And that wasn't that, that whole season was a mirage. I'm pretty sure that. Those but do you want to, do you want to pay once to have like a 2019 ones? That's the thing. His contract, while it seems onerous, isn't really that much as contra- as QB contracts rise and rise. I think that someone's going to take a shot on it. I haven't looked at the exact details, but $120 million over like four years 
is not the end of the world for a quarterback who's shown high level play. And we can very much clown on him for like blaming the offensive line and like one supporter for blaming the offensive line and like the pieces around him. Because I think all of that's true because Jalen Hurts is doing much better with the same pieces. At the same time, since his 2017 season, there's been very little organizational stability and like just very little consistency and a lot of injuries and a lot of older players. I think that putting him with someone like Frank Reich could do wonders for him. And I don't really know what that level he's going to hit would be, but I do think someone's going to take a flyer on him. Uh, I'm going to make a bold prediction now and say he doesn't have a job anymore for the rest of his career. Like a starting job? Yeah. How, how would that work? They're just going to sit on the $120 million because they can't find yep. anyone? Yep. Okay. Um, I'm going to make a counter prediction and say that he's going to be traded. He's going to be traded once in a fifth a round piece. pick for a second round pick. And do you think he'll get any starting snaps? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think he's going to be traded. I think he's going to be traded to like, if he got traded to San Francisco, I think that was what I was reading. If they trade for him and then they cut Jimmy Garoppolo, they pretty much break even. It's pretty much the exact same cost. So they can do that. And honestly, I would rather have Carson Wentz than Jimmy Garoppolo. Like at least then you have upside. Jimmy Garoppolo, you've seen us. Then you lose all your looks. (laughs) Now that is true. Like, man, think about the billboards that would be lost. Exactly. And he's such an important part of that team. (laughs) Okay. You've sold me. You've sold me. They shouldn't do that. Okay. Let's move it on. I've already hit most of my things from this week. So do you have anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. I wanted to talk about the Steelers. I think that we can't really talk about this week without acknowledging that disgusting performance that we didn't even have to watch. We literally didn't (laughs) watch. I think that, I think at least for me, that's the first game I haven't seen all season. And I cannot say that I am any. I am in a rush to go back and watch like the replay or the highlights or anything of it. Oh my god, the Steelers! If for some reason you guys don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Steelers lost twenty-seven seventeen to the Cincinnati Bengals, led by redhead quarterback Ryan Finley. <laughs> wow! So we thought it was bad when when they were losing two straight. You know, the Washington Football Team are a good team at least, like. They they've they have some good skill positions, but this is the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm sorry, they haven't beaten anyone this league this this year that has been any good, and now they beat the Steelers, who are eleven and well now they're eleven and three. How does something like this happen, Josh? Well, actually, ironically, the Bengals. Sorry, wait, let me just check their wins. I'm pretty the sure they beat the, the Jaguars. No, they beat the Titans. Oh. And Which, who was the other one? I'm uh, the, the it was the Bengals, the Jaguars, and then they tied with the Eagles. Okay. I, I was just thinking about the Jaguar thing. Yeah. I, I figured that the other one would be bad. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's very strange that they beat the Titans. Anyways, I'm just sorry. I'm just going over like the EPA stuff and the stats from this game. Both teams had both negative rush EPA per play and negative <laughs> pass EPA per play. This had to have been one of the worst games in quite a while. I'm very glad I missed it, honestly. I'm surprised uh, it was so high scoring. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to guess what Ben Roethlisberger's EPA per play was? No. no <laughs> it's going to be bad. I don't, I don't want to guess over or under. Negative 0.3. Oh, I'm glad I didn't guess. I yeah. was going to say, I was going to at least give him the benefit of the doubt and go like with negative one, 0.1. No. And honestly, it's even funnier. I was talking about Jalen Hurts' pass chart. I, I tweeted this. Um, if you look at Ben Roethlisberger's pass chart and like his pass distribution from this week, it looks like either the Bengals were playing, like it looks like the Bengals were playing the flying V defense, which is actually an <laughs> offensive attack from the Mighty Ducks. Like there's just a giant wedge in the middle of the field, like starting on like the left sideline and making a V and 
there are no pass attempts there. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, the entire passing game was is a mess. That Steelers passing game, which was so highly touted, you're like, oh my God, we got Juju Smith-Schuster, we got Deontay Johnson, we got Chase Claypool, we got James Washington. We're set. Our passing attack is, is great. But then you look at your quarterback, you got Ben Roethlisberger. You start looking deeper into the wide receivers. You got Juju Smith-Schuster, who's dancing on logos before before the game. You got uh, Deontay Dropson, who's, who's just who can't catch a pass for his life. <laughs> Uh, you got Chase Claypool, who who can't hold on to to the to the big catches. Uh, I'm I'm kidding. Uh, Chase Claypool is actually like the only person that impresses me. Yeah, I was but, gonna say, let's not do that. <laughs> but it's just it it hurts to watch a team that was so highly touted, like seven games into the season, fall apart. Yeah, it's not great. I think that there's a pretty good chance that the Steelers like lose out and then possibly lose their playoff game. Their next two games are, sorry, I'm just pulling it up. They play the Colts and then they play the Browns. They should be underdogs in both those games. And then they'll probably play like what they'll probably play one of those two teams actually in the wild card round because they probably lost the number two seed. So I, I would not be surprised if the Steelers don't win another game. Yep. This season. And meanwhile, Ben Roethlisberger's on, I think has like a dead cap hit of like at least $20 million next year. Like they can't really oh, get rid that of that. hurt. Those words hurt. I know. I don't know what the Steelers' future is. That's going to be a really interesting discussion to have over the off season, but it's not okay, looking this, bright. This, this, this is a good. This is a good question. What do you think is a bigger fluke, the Steelers going eleven and zero, or the Jacksonville Jaguars beating the Colts? Well, okay. So the, here's the thing: the Jaguars are terrible, but any team can win a one game sample, which we saw this week when the Jets beat the Rams, and also it was the Colts' first game with Philip Rivers. Like, there's a lot of mitigating factors. So I'm definitely going to say the Steelers going eleven and zero. I mean. I can't even say that Ben Roethlisberger's arm, because you know how Drew Brees always, over the course of the year, his arm just gets worse and worse, and you like gradually <laughs> see that he's like getting weaker and weaker. He I think puts ben more and more of his chest into it. Exactly. I think Ben Roethlisberger's arm has been getting weaker, but not that much. I think defenses are just adjusting. Like his arm has stayed at the exact same level of like weakness, which is why it's sort of hard to believe that they stayed or that they went eleven and zero. I mean, you got to give it to them. They somehow made the playoffs with this team. Uh, Mike yeah. Tomlin knows what he's doing. <laughs> but, exactly. That defense but, is really good, and it might not matter at all. Okay, I'm going to give you one last thing for this week, and then we, I want to look forward into next week, and I think we both have some games we want to talk about. So this is just one quick thing, and it just makes me angry, so I had to, I had to share it with you. All right, I'm going to share with you the EPA numbers for rushes and passes. So you're going to guess the team. So first, on early rushes, this team had an EPA of negative 0.13 and had an early pass EPA per play of 0.72. Very high, obviously. Want to guess? Uh, let's go with the Buccaneers. It was the Chargers. Buccaneers isn't a bad guess, though. I do like that. Uh, Falcons would also probably be a decent guess. So, yeah, that makes sense. Now, do you want to tell me how many early rushes to early passes they had? Just give it a guess. <laughs> Just give it a guess. I'm going to say that they had two times as many early rushes than passes. No, but they had 27 early rushes and 26 early passes. Like, <laughs> we've talked about Anthony Lynn and the Chargers coaching staff these past couple weeks. I think their offensive coordinator is, like, Shane Steichen or something like that. Like, literally the most nondescript name ever. He needs to get some blame. Like, they all need to get some blame. But this cannot happen when Justin Herbert was dicing the Raiders' defense up through I've, the air and they couldn't get yeah, anything going I've, on the ground. I've said this ever since Austin Eckler came back. They've been using him way too much on the early downs. Listen, I love Austin Eckler. He is a great player, and he's 
well, probably one of the best receiving backs in the league. They should use him like that. They should not be running him up the middle on first down. It, it doesn't make any sense. No, I, I agree. They also did a lot of running with Galen Balazs, but I completely agree. And I think that since Austin Eckler came back, they've changed their game plan, and it, ha- it hasn't been for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's really they've they've changed into a different team. We've seen this with Justin Herbert; his production has dropped. Uh, I I don't I don't appreciate them taking the ball out of his hands. Yeah. So, all right. Now moving forward, what matchup do you want to look at for next week, week sixteen? You know, I think a, I think a sneaky good game might actually be the the Viking Saints. Oh yeah, that should be fun. I had almost thought about looking taking a look at that one. So tell me what you were thinking. So here's my here's my prediction on how this game is going to go. I think that Kirk Cousins is going to come out throwing. I think that Justin Jefferson will get a, a touchdown early. I think maybe maybe like a Tom Conklin touchdown thrown in there. I think they'll go up like 14-0 at the start. I think the Saints will start to shut down. Alvin Kamara will get a couple of touchdowns. It'll be a close game. And I think the Saints will win by a field goal like 17-14. to 14. Okay, so here's my prediction for this game. The Saints are up by four points. There's nine seconds left. The Vikings have the ball on the 40-yard line. They have to go 60 oh. yards. Okay. It's so, on Christmas. Kirk Cousins drops back. Justin Jefferson is running a corner route. He throws it to him to the sideline. Marcus Williams dives to make the tackle. Actually, Marcus Williams is hurt. I don't know if we'll be playing this. Marcus Williams He's questionable. dives. questionable. He's questionable. Marcus Williams <laughs> dives to make the tackle. He misses. Justin Jefferson goes to the end zone. And the, and the Saints lose the number two seed. That is a real, and it's on Christmas, a Christmas Day miracle. Oh, so beautiful, so beautiful. It would make so much sense. Okay, that if that happens, that would be that would be incredible. Oh my I, god, I, I would die! Totally I that. would die laughing. That would be the greatest NFL day I think ever. Oh. <laughs> okay. except, for, except for for the Saints. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, they've had a rough couple of weeks, anyways. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, do you have anything else you want to add to this game? Um, that was that was my prediction. I think that the the Vikings offense will start off strong and the Saints will settle down kind of early early season stuff. And I don't think it'll be too shocking of a result, but who knows? Maybe maybe a Minneapolis miracle could happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that the In biggest problem. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. You know, variety is good. Um, I think the biggest problem for the Vikings is that we know how they love to establish to run, and yeah. the Saints are at least a top two run defense in this league, probably them and the Buccaneers are the two that I'd be most concerned about. And so that does not bode well. The Vikings were actually really effective running the ball against the Bears. I don't know if Akeem Hicks played. I assume he did, but it is surprising because they had so much trouble the last time they played, which gives you a sense of optimism. But again, that could be a problem. They need to be willing to throw the ball just a decent amount more. Um, And sorry, my prediction for the game, the Saints really need this win. So I'm going to say they win by like a narrow amount. I think that, yeah. You should double down. You should be like you should. You should go with the Vikings by two. Okay, but is is that how? What is that the outcome of the uh, Minneapolis miracle? I didn't know how many points they were down by. I didn't have the answer to that. I, I can look this up really quick. They Did ended up. Know? They ended up winning by five. I think they were down by one point. So they were down twenty four twenty three, and they scored. Okay. So they're gonna win by five. That is my prediction. Never mind. I changed it. All right, let's go with that. That's a, that's a much more fun prediction, anyway. Yeah, I, I don't feel that strongly about this game. Uh, we actually didn't talk about the Chiefs-Saints game. I just didn't think it mattered that much just because, like, the Chiefs are unstoppable. and the It Saints... went to exactly how we expected it to go. Yeah, and the Saints are locked into their playoff spot, essentially. Like, 
they're probably gonna have the two seed. So I just didn't think it paired repeating, but we could talk about it at some other point. Yeah, but um, the Chiefs are, are are gonna win the Super Bowl. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I would be shocked if anything else happens. Next team I want to talk about. All right, this is gonna be a homer pick, sort of, but also not just because I think it's sort of funny, and I don't even want to talk about the Dolphins all that much. I want to talk about the Dolphins Raiders quickly. So this is the matchup of the two best Hawaiian quarterbacks ever. Um, in Marcus Mariota, well, if Marcus ever, Mariota plays, really? yeah, I actually looked. I actually looked it up uh, on Pro Football Reference, and there's pretty much nobody else who's had nearly as many pass attempts from Hawaii. So I was surprised. This is, of course, if Derek Carr doesn't play, but groin strains tend to linger. Mariota played really well last week, and the Raiders are essentially eliminated. So I don't see the point in rushing Carr back. So, anyways, I wanted to talk about Marcus Mariota just a little bit, even more than Tua. Although I think that the Dolphin, we already talked about how the Dolphins stomp the Patriots on the ground. Um, and we could see a little bit more of that this week because the Raiders, even though they were more successful against the Chargers, have not been good against the run. So just some things I noticed from watching Marcus Mariota when he came in in relief of Derek Carr, which were surprising, obviously, from the la- since the last time that we saw him. He's gotten much more aggressive attacking downfield. He had the third highest average intended air yards for quarterbacks in week 15. And when we last saw him, he was timid and he was holding the ball too long and he wasn't willing to take those shots that when they opened up. And so as a secondary note, another big problem, he was holding the ball too long before he was holding the ball for nearly three seconds a throw on Thursday night, but the Raiders offensive line did such a good job of keeping him clean, which has to do partially with Joey Bosa only playing 16 snaps and Melvin Ingram being out, but he managed to navigate a couple crowded pockets and otherwise stay clean. And then when he needed to, he used his legs and he was really efficient running the ball and he had 21.3 total EPA on the day. Like he was really good in an effort that I'm pretty sure nobody saw coming. I mean, I was just shocked. Yeah, I mean, I was always higher on Marcus Mariota than you were. I could never in my wildest dreams have imagined him play that well. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it, neither of them is going to be a long-term starting quarterback. I think that this would probably... Sorry, sorry. Um, are we talking about Tua here, or are we talking about Carr and No, we're talking Mariota. about Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. Okay, just, just making that clear. <laughs> I think that Tua is, this is the end of the road for him. I don't see him getting any better from here. <laughs> As in like the end of the road is like the pearly gates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that this is, this is his cliff and he's currently walking off of it. I think that he's done. <laughs> I will drive to your house and fight you. <laughs> um. Yeah. So who knows? I, I think that Marcus Mariota played well. We don't really need to look too deep into that. Uh, it's not going to have any major implications. It's kind of like Mitchell Trubisky playing well. Who cares? Yeah, I sort of agree. Um, at some point, we might actually need to talk about the Bears because they are actually one one game out of a playoff spot, which is insane. But I just I've, don't want to talk about them yet. <laughs> no, no, no. And I already talked about David Montgomery. We will talk about them if they actually put themselves in the last playoff spot. Until then, I refuse. And they, and, they do play the Jaguars. So. Oh, God damn it. My prediction for this game, Dolphins win. BZH have so much more to play for. Dolphins win by like three. It's still going to be a tight game. The Raiders are still a good team and the Dolphins are missing their top five pass catchers or they were this past week. Hopefully they get Kasiki and Parker back. I don't know about the rest of them. Yeah, um, I'll go with, I'll be a little bit more optimistic than you. I'll go, I'll go Dolphins by seven, like 27, 20 or something. That sounds like a reasonable score. All right. Which game do you want to hit next? Well, I think the most exciting game. It might not be the best game, but the, definitely the most exciting game will be the Titans-Packers. Just in terms of pure scoring. <laughs> it's it's no defense versus no defense. And wow, it might be it might be a bloodbath. 
Yeah. But so here, sorry, here's a quick note just before, because I, I thought about, I wrote some stuff down for this game, but before I did, I realized that this game seems like it should be really important, but it actually isn't. I mean, it's going to be a really fun Sunday night football game, but the Packers are pretty much locked up the number one seed. Even if they lose and the Saints win, they'll have the same record and the Packers have the tiebreaker. So the Packers would just need to beat the Bears in week 17 to get the number one seed. It actually does matter more to the Titans, but they can also probably only move up to the three seed. They need to win out and they need to have the Steelers go 0 and 2 just to get well, the three seed because the Steelers have the tiebreaker, which we said is reasonable, but like still a tough task. And so that, that's why what, I was. What about the Bills? Are they like locked in for the second seed? Yes, at this point. They are, I think, ahead of the Steelers and the Steelers are not, are not, not, are not catching up. Yeah. The Steelers <laughs> are just clinging to what they have right now, is essentially where I'm at. They they put themselves in a in a pretty good position, but gosh, okay, yeah. we talked about them. Let's talk about this game. What do you think is going to happen? Matt Lafleur and Arthur Smith are pretty similar. Arthur Smith was actually hired to replace Matt Lafleur as the Titans' offensive coordinator, and he built on Lafleur's play action heavy system, which got Lafleur hired by the Packers. They are they come from the same tree essentially. They're very similar coaches. So my prediction: Aaron Rodgers is going to sit in the pocket all day. He will make himself some sandwiches. He will have plenty of time. He might write a thesis paper because that Titans front four is just not getting home against the Packers offensive line. Meanwhile, Dean Pease is no longer there to scheme up crazy blitzes and actually get some pressure. So my prediction is that Aaron Rodgers is pressured five times on the day, three of them on blitzes that require that have like at least at least six guys going. Then yeah. on the other side of the ball, I think that the Titans preferred game plan is to have Derrick Henry run all over the Packers run defense. However, I am dubious about the efficacy of this plan just because the Packers run defense has a been better the past couple of weeks. And unless the Titans score a touchdown, like every single possession from the beginning of the game, for them to keep up, they're going to need to throw the ball a lot because Aaron Rodgers is going to score a lot against this defense and, and they might have to take the ball off the ground. That That's my prediction. Packers win by, by 10. What, what score? 57, 47, 35, sorry, 35, 24. So they win by eleven, I guess. I'm gonna change it a little bit. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna be really upset when they win 3525. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah, so I I could see that I see Aaron Ro- Aaron Jones having a bigger role in this game. I, I'm gonna go with a, a pretty bold prediction and say he gets over two hundred yards from scrimmage. Woo, I like that. I, I think that I think that he's just gonna run through that entire defense. I think that uh Devontae Adams is gonna draw so much attention that he'll just be able to run under and that Titans defense has shown that they can't do anything to stop it. So I'll go with that being my prediction, but I also see Derrick Henry running through the Packers. Uh, I think we will see a very running back heavy match uh, on Sunday night. So I'm going to say that Aaron Jones gets 220 yards from scrimmage versus Derrick Henry's 192. And then the score is going to be, 40 to 37 on a game-winning field goal by Mason Crosby. Jeez. Okay. I I mean, I can see a lot of that happening. The main thing that really does surprise me, though, is just the Aaron Jones prediction, because as good as he is, and even though the Titans are bad against the run, I just don't see the need for them to run the ball when they can instead put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, which I think they'd prefer to do. Yeah, I just I just think that the, the Titans might lot into stopping Devontae Adams, and I'm not saying it'll work, because it probably won't. But I'm just saying, I think that Aaron Jones will become a very important part of their game plan. 
yeah, I'm down by quite a bit in a fantasy matchup this week. And I think I might play Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Alan Lazard just to see if they can score a million points for me because that would be great. Yeah, it's a risk kind of worth taking. Yeah, exactly. All right. So one last game that I have. Uh, is it, Are you done? Yeah. Okay, great. So we'll end on this. This is a rematch of what was a pretty good game back in week 10. We have the Rams Seahawks going back at it for round two, which is an insanely important matchup because this is going to decide who wins the division and who takes either the two or three seed or the five seed, which is really important. The Rams had a pretty strong hold on that division lead until they lost to the Jets. And so now now the Seahawks currently hold the three seed, I think. But if the Seahawks win, they clinch the division. If the Rams win, they're going to have the same record as the Seahawks, but we'll have the tiebreaker. They'll be 2-0 against the Seahawks. They already beat them earlier this year. So most of my questions actually for this game are actually more for the Seahawks than the Rams, mostly because I'm just going to look at this game against the Jets as an aberration, a trap game that like we know they got themselves in a negative situation and they couldn't rebound. That's fine. My questions are for the Seahawks because they had a terrible game, especially offensively against the Rams back in week 10. So I just have a couple questions, really. One, can the Seahawks unlock DK Metcalf? Because the last time they played, Jalen Ramsey shut him down. He had two catches of 28 yards. And since week eight, Tyler Lockett is averaging five receptions for 47 yards per game. He's not going to be getting that much help from Lockett from what we've currently seen, at least or recently seen. So I'm going to be curious to see if Metcalf can take over this game, or at least to an extent. And Wilson will probably need to look for him more because he missed him a couple times. He was just really on the run a lot. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, so I think that that's a very important part of this game. DK Metcalf had five catches for 43 yards against the, the Washington football team, which is not sufficient for DK Metcalf. He is not happy with that. I think he will come back firing. So so Russ and the Seahawks are a completely different team in the clutch. They turn into a different animal. And I can totally see the Seahawks winning by 20, 20 points against the Rams. God damn. So I have a yeah. lot more questions for the Seahawks that I didn't even get to. So I'm gonna get I'm gonna go through them. The Rams defense just completely took over the game in week 10. Russell Wilson looked very hesitant the last time they played. It was actually the beginning of the end for Russell Wilson because he's not been good since then. Before that game, he was averaging 317 yards per game and had a passer rating of 117. In the week since, he hasn't thrown for more than more than 263 yards in a game. He's averaging like 210. And he has a passer rating of 91.6. It's a complete drop-off. Like, there's been a massive change since this game. And I think defenses have adjusted. So, sorry, just give me one second. Because I think defenses have used Brandon Staley's game plan to attack Russell Wilson. And so, um, Brandon Staley is a Vic Fangio uh, disciple. And so, what that means is that they use a lot of too high coverages. And they rely really heavily on their safeties to make plays. So, Brandon Staley's defenses usually have a light box which makes it seem like it should be really easy to run. But instead what they do is they have their safeties just attack downfield really hard. Their safeties need to be, his safeties need to be really good, which we talked about how John Johnson and Jordan Fuller have been fantastic this year. And they need to be attacking quickly. They need to be diagnosing immediately and making plays in the run game and the pass game. And so in week 10, the Seahawks actually rushed and passed for negative EPA per play. Like they got whooped by the Rams defense. And so that is my concern. I've been one to clock when a, when a player is, is on a downward spiral. And I think, I think this is the time where Russ goes off. I, this, is, this is my bold prediction for this week. 
I think that the Seahawks offense is going to be crazy this week. I it's a it's it's a bold prediction because it's against a very very strong Rams defense. But I think that this is the this is where we see the rust that we will see come playoff time, and I think it'll be a different a different animal. What's your score prediction? I have the Seahawks winning twenty seven to seven. Okay, interesting. So they're gonna put up twenty seven points, and Russ is gonna go off. Yeah. Okay. Because once say... you're up twenty seven nothing, you don't have to worry about scoring points. All right, that's fair. My faith in. Russell 30, 10, 30, 10, 30. Okay. All right. All right. I, pre- I appreciate that a little more. You got to at least hit the three. My faith in Russell Wilson has, well, has been shaken. I still believe he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league, but they have not looked good. And this is a bad matchup for them, uh, as I said. So I think the Rams win 24 14, which actually I think it might have been the same score as last time, but I could really see a repeat of that game. And um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that's my now. prediction. I get that. Okay, I'm not. Now I gotta find out. Okay. Yeah, I looked uh, at it. Twenty-three before. to sixteen. Twenty-three to sixteen. All right. You have anything you want to close this out on, Adam? I hope that uh, the Bengals beat the Texans, and I'm sure you do too, because that that keeps the Texans pick lower. But it also elite frogs the Falcons over the the Bengals, and I and I really hope that the Falcons take Michael Parsons. But that's just my opinion. Interesting. Actually, wait. I'm gonna stop you right there, really quickly. I was gonna I was gonna close this out on that, but. Why do you want them to take Micah Parsons? Because here's my question. I think their linebackers are probably their strongest part of their defense because you and I both love uh, Foya Luakon, but Deion Jones is also really good. Why is why is Micah Parsons the need for this team? I just think that he's the best defensive player in that draft, and our defense needs pieces. And he can play on the he can play on the pass rush. Foya can play as a safety. He's done that before. I'm just saying uh, we need we need change. And we need it somehow. I don't know how we'll shift pieces around, but he's the best defensive player. And I think you got to take that there. Yep. I always appreciate uh, drafting best player available rather than for need. So I think that's a good choice. I'm just going to wish everyone a happy holidays and we will see you next week.